0: At that stage, he would have been. Uh, I suspect at the stage he was already under Roman limitation, and um, it wasn't too much longer after this that he was. He suffered crucifixion. Um, we're told traditionally he was crucified upside down. I don't know how much of that is true, but it, it wasn't long after this that he would have. He, he would have been facing his death, and. He says, and it was the last verse of that reading today, I think, I know that I will soon put aside this body as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Who was it addressed to? Well, it was a circular letter. It was addressed to the churches that would have mainly been what is nowadays modern Turkey. That's the area. And we begin with verse 1. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, an apostle wasn't just a religious term. An apostle was somebody who acted with authority on behalf of another person. Um, and he acted on authority. He represented... And he speaks for the living Christ. It's a similar meaning, I suppose, as in the political world today, the ambassador, American ambassador, and so on. But Peter doesn't flaunt this authority. Does he say, you know, uh, Simon Peter, apostle, ambassador of Christ, um, up there? No. He starts off, notice, Simon Peter, a servant. And the word servant is bond slave. Now bond slaves, if you were a bond slave under the Roman system, you know what your union rights were? Nothing. You were a servant. You one day might be given your freedom. When you were a bond slave you were a servant and your rights were nil. So when Simon Peter says Simon Peter is servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ he's saying first and foremost I am a servant under orders. I might be as he says secondly I'm, I, I, I might be an apostle a representative Christ but I am a servant. He's first and foremost a servant of God. And he goes on and he says to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours in the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ the important thing is their faith. It is a faith of equal standing. So he's saying that all these people He's writing this letter to Have a faith of equal standing with his. He's not special. His faith in Jesus Christ is like our faith, in Je- their faith in Jesus Christ. Um, whether you're a pastor, you're an elder, you're a deacon, or you're someone who washes up dishes, um, it makes no difference. The important thing is our faith. Regardless of status. And having made his initial statement, who it's from, he moves to verse 2 and he has a benediction. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace come from God, they're not ours by nature all by right. They come from outside of us. And Peter desires that they might come be multiplied to you, or come in great measure. God's grace is the power that leads to godliness and eternal life. And we know that through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's intimately related to our relationship, our knowledge of God. When knowledge is neglected, grace doesn't flow. You know, it can, be, it can be a problem if we neglect the knowledge, that knowledge of God's grace and God's power and godliness and eternal life. Peace, peace cannot always be obtained externally. Sometimes our circumstances are not peaceful. Um sometimes they can be pretty tough. But God gives inner peace or inner harmony, which becomes our source of strength. Yeah, there are I'm sure with with I don't think there'd be anyone in this group here who hasn't had a time when external peace was rather short on when the thing that kept you together and going was that inner peace that God gives us. It's our source of strength. Verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Now Paul in Philippians two said, "Work out your salvation because God is at work in you. The Christian faith isn't just a set of doctrines to be accepted it's not it is a power to be experienced. Believing about Jesus is not enough. We're told in the Bible the devil believes uh, believing facts about Jesus is not enough it's 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 a power to be experienced when we accept and accept Christ into our life as Lord and Saviour, and it's a package deal. You don't get Christ as Saviour and you can do your own thing. You cross Christ, Christ as Saviour, and part of that process is that you become. He is our Lord, and therefore we are His servants. It doesn't go down with the modern generation very well, that. Uh, People don't like to be servants, but that's the reality. As Paul Paul said in Romans 8.14, he said, all who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. So it involves us being willing to be led by God's Spirit. But who is the us he was talking about? Well, Peter and the believers he wrote to, which would have been in in Turkey as we say it nowadays, um, I have to say it, they're all deceased. It's about 2,000 years later. But because those letters have been preserved for us, it includes others like you and me. So we can take these words and say, by God's grace, Peter is talking to us. Verse 4 by which, his glory and excellence, he has granted to us his very precious and great promises, that through these you may escape from the corruption that is in the world, because passion or selfish desire, uh, and become partakers of the divine nature. There are two things to see here. One, we need liberation from the power of sin that corrupts and destroys our lives. And two, we need to be united with God through the Spirit and to grow in his likeness. So there's two things there if you think about it. It's renewal and it's growth. It's a package. If we only embrace the second part, we want to be united with God um, and don't really deal with the first one, Liberation from the power of sin you're going to have problems. If we neglect the promises of God sin becomes a renewed problem. You've got both parts. We need to, to recognise that God gives us liberation from the power of sin that corrupts and we need to grow in his light. Verses five to seven for this very reason add to your diligence add your adding your diligence to the divine promises, employ every effort in exercising your faith to develop virtue or excellence, if you like, and in exercising virtue knowledge. And in exercising knowledge, develop self control. And in exercising self control develop steadfastness. Patience or endurance, if you like. And in exercising steadfastness, develop godliness, piety. And in exercising godliness, develop brotherly affection. And in exercising brotherly affection, develop Christian love. Between faith and love, there were six other qualities included in there. There's a lot of overlapping. For example, if you're exercising patience, love is also present in that. But there's an order too. Peter's saying you start with faith in Christ and you build up your moral excellence. Increase your knowledge of God. Be diligent in building up your self-control and mastery of your passions. Develop patience and serenity. Let your love for God grow. Kindle your affection for other believers. Through all this, grow in love for fellow men. Now, I see a sequence there. It's I. I always like to think of these verses as Peter's gardening principles. Uh, how? A few people here, I think, would be guilty of the sin of getting down on their hands and knees and grubbing in a garden somewhere along the line. And when you stop and think about it with gardening, there's all sorts of things involved. You start off with a vacant block of sand, and believe me, in Singleton, a vacant block of sand is a vacant block of sand. It's white, it's half silica, it's half lime put some acid on it, fizzes. You go to the nursery, you can buy yourself a whole lot of plants without paying much attention and you'll find about a third of them don't like the lime and you'll have to replace them. I found that. I made the mistake, I put soil on the ground and compost and all the other lovely stuff and put the plants in that and they thought this was wonderful for three years. Then they stuck their big toes out into into the lime Oh, that was that. You know, I learnt the lesson. You grow things that can handle it. But it's gar- there's a gardening principle involved. When we start thinking about gardening, you, you start you're starting with a, uh, a fresh scene. You're clearing up the weeds to start with before you start out, and then you've got you've got adding fertilizer. There's water. There's uh, pruning, there's getting rid of the pests that seem to plague things. Um, it's not just the garden that grows. Weeds, they're wonderful things. Who's got a vegetable garden here? Who's got weed problems? <laughs> when you fertilise, when you add compost and you get a nice soil to grow things in, the weeds grow that's part of gardening and when, you, when you're growing, a, when you're developing a garden you've got all this interaction of processes involved and you'll hopefully one day i say one day it'll be all done and you don't have to do any more. Anyone reached that stage yet? Uh, I didn't think they had uh, and the other thing you'll discover is as you get older The weeds get bigger, don't they? (laughs) I've noticed that. But but this here, and I say this is Peter's gardening principles, Peter's saying there's a process here. You're starting with faith. Then you're building up your moral excellence or your character through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're increasing a knowledge of God. You're building up self-control you're developing patience and serenity that, that the, the, the that which won't be disturbed by whatever the circumstances around you you're letting your love for God grow you kindled your affection for other believers and through all this he says grow in love for fellow man there is a sequence involved. Uh, some you, you, Just like in a garden, you provide the environment for the next stage of growth. And the same thing happens here. Verse 80 says, For as these qualities are yours and increasingly abound in you, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's will for us to grow and be fruitful. The tragedy is... When this fails, when we don't grow, and we're not fruitful, there's life. But don't you have those shrubs in your garden that no matter what you seem to do for them, they remain stunted? Do you have problem shrubs? I do. Some I pulled out, some I cut back and say, well, have another go, mate every couple of years and see what happens to it but it's very it, it's God's will for us to grow and be fruitful that it, sometimes this fails because if in, if in the process we're not d- building up our moral excellence increasing our knowledge of God's will developing our self-control letting our love for God grow if we're not Fertilizing our faith, to use the expression, and going through this process, then we're going to be, as he said in verse eight, there. We're going to be unproductive. Our lives will be unproductive. We can lose our vision. And in verse nine, Paul, uh, Peter says, "For whoever lacks these qualities is spiritually short-sighted." seeing only what is near to him and has come oblivious to the fact that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now if you become oblivious to the fact you were cleansed from your old sins, it's really saying you're becoming oblivious to your sinfulness. When you became a Christian, what happened to sin? I'm asking you, when you became a Christian, what happened to sin? Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. Still there. When I became a Christian, I thought of sin. Singular. When I became, when, but when I started to live as a Christian, I discovered something else sins that there's a whole there's a whole tendency there to fall short of God's standards and dare I say it as Christians we can still think of number one Uh, you know who number one is don't you We we are still capable as Christians of being selfish we're still capable as Christians of neglecting God and, and thinking about ourselves, we can become sh- spiritually short-sighted, seeing, seeing the things around about him and being oblivious of what God has done, the fact that God has cleansed him from his old sins. We are warned against being lazy in our faith and drifting away from Jesus. And... over over my lifetime i've i 've just sort of well i 've seen a lot of people over the years and i 'm sure you have too and i 've seen people who have just slid away from the Christian faith by stages it didn 't come overnight; it was just a gradual process it's peter peter's saying. That if we practice this gardening principle, he's talking about, there will grow these qualities, and in the process, the ultimate result is we will we will be in a situation where we can practice Christian love, agape. We can we can exercise God's love for the unlovely. Um, it's a bit like exercise. Now. Rhea and I go twice a week to gym. Live long, live strong, they caught nicely. For the over for the over fifty fives of anyone who's younger. <laughs> but um, I, I I nicknamed it long ago, Keep on Creaking. It's not live it's not live long, live strong. It's just forget the live strong. I find that believe it or not, the, the strong bit's getting weaker. <laughs> um, but we it's I really the, the whole idea is we go to keep on creek those to keep maintain mobility maintain uh, physical health recognising the fact that yes we are going to grow older and yes we are going to slow down and yes there are going to be times when what we thought we could do we can't do anymore I accept that fact um but in the same way, we need to exercise spiritually. Believe it or not, there is no retirement age in the spiritual life. What your retirement age is, sixty-five or something like that, uh, theoretically—that's when we stop, stop working for money and start working for your wife at home. You see. <sighs> but Saint, but the point is, there is no retirement age in the Christian life we retire in the Christian life and two possibilities can turn up one we die or two the Lord comes and then we don't retire because I don't believe that heaven is going to be sitting in a rocking chair I believe that heaven whatever it is there will be things for us to do and At least I hope so. (laughs) Um, John's going to be in a choir, for example. Um, Lots of things. But if we keep on growing, if if we keep on growing and keep on spiritual exercising, just like the physical, so we can build on our faith and grow these qualities, only then can we love the unlovely. Now you know what I mean by that. You've all met the unlovely, haven't you? Anyone hasn't? Uh, I've met a few over the years. Then we can love the unlovely. Only then can we have patience with those that grind on our nerves. It doesn't come naturally. God has got to be in the process. I love a saying, I've... First, heard all years and years ago. Lord, I love the whole world, I just can't spare my neighbour. <sighs> and it, I mean, it's, I find it beautiful because the first part just makes a general statement Lord, I love the world. That's easy to say. But I can't love my neighbour. Horrible person. Real pain. This this contrast underlies the fact that growth is a process that only the Holy Spirit can achieve as we actively work with him. And some of us may be retired or our bodies are, but as I said, there is no retirement in the Christian life. May God inspire us to grow these qualities in our lives that Peter's talking about. Thank you.